0: Thank <laughs> you. hangover podcast. My name is Andrew Alex. I am joined today by the full crew. Ricky LaBlue in the 757 Mike McDaniel in Northern Virginia. What's going on, gents?
1: I am drinking coffee at 611 on a Monday night like a 73-year-old man. I am uh, not drinking coffee at the moment, <laughs> but
2: I have had a couple cups today. The Monday after Thanksgiving is a notoriously uh, busy Workday with the uh, and it's also job. brutal.
1: It's absolutely brutal. Brutal is the correct word. Brutal,
0: indeed, indeed. Super brutal. Lots of work. And what makes it even more difficult is constantly having to refresh Twitter to see what head coaching jobs have become available, which ones have filled, and you know, wait, waiting for the inevitable Virginia Tech head coaching announcement as of today monday the 29th at 6:12 p.m. that head coaching position has not been filled who knows it could happen soon maybe this podcast becomes irrelevant quick but as of now speculation still runs amiss we're going to talk about all of it plus the uva game and virginia tech basketball's not so you know successful could have been better trip to brooklyn on the hard court We'll get to all of it, but first, we got to thank our good friends over at Main Street Pharmacy. Main Street Pharmacy in downtown Blacksburg. Here's the pharmacy you want to go to if you want a healthcare provider that truly cares about you. Be a neighbor, not a number, and look no further than Main Street Pharmacy. Our good friend, Dr. Jeremy Counts, and his wonderful staff will take care of everything you need. Well, boys, Virginia Tech football, you know, over the course of really the last decade, there's been a fair share of unideal seasons, but it seems like with every single one of those unideal results, the season is capped off with a big victory in the Commonwealth Cup. Virginia Tech makes it 17 for their last 18 against the Wahoos, UVAs, best offense of all time. Could not defeat one of Virginia Tech's poorest offenses in recent memory a second-half comeback, a Philly special to Braxton Burmeister, and capped off at the end with the, <laughs> the Hoagie Bands storming the field and J.C. Price with a big cigar in his mouth. You know, the season's over. The win more symbolic than anything else at this point. What are you guys' thoughts about Virginia Tech's victory in Charlottesville?
1: To me – says a lot more about the program in Charlottesville than it does about the program in Blacksburg. Allow me to explain. You're right. (laughs) So everyone knows that Virginia Tech is in a bad spot. Like that's, no one's disputing that. There isn't anyone that's, that's saying that Virginia Tech is just inches away from being a really competitive solid, reliable, sustainable college football program. No one's no one's arguing that, right? But the argument over the last two years has been that Bronco Mendenhall has returned Virginia to a sense of a sense of competitiveness, a a position in the coastal where they can fight for the division crown every single season. Andrew you you mentioned that this has been the best Cavalier offense that has ever existed. There has not been a Virginia offense that has been this good. There there may not have been a college offense in recent memory that has been this explosive with this many different guys, right? They have five receivers with a 500 yards or more re- receiving through the air. Armstrong Armstrong's responsible for something like 60 touchdowns. This has been the quietest most productive offense in, at least in my mind, in college football history in terms of the last, what, 40, 50 years. I Like, no one's talked about it, but they've been absolutely incredible, right? They got shut the, down in the second half. Three points. <laughs> like, I mean, what the hell does that say about Virginia, that in a year where Tech is playing with an interim head coach, the team's not very good. They, they don't know who the hell they want to play at quarterback. The offensive coordinator has lost his damn mind in Brad Cornelson, which maybe Robert and I has lost his, lost his mind too, but we can talk about that in a minute. Um, what does it say about the Cavs that they can't beat this Virginia Tech team? To me, that's just emblematic of, of where these two programs are. There are levels to this shit, man, and UVA is not on Tech's level. They're just not.
0: I I think it almost truly can be chalked up to just like big brother, little brother syndrome, where no matter how the season looks, those guys go onto the field and see Virginia tech warming up. And there's this pervasive sense of here we go again. And obviously the streak was snapped in 2019, but that was a one-off year. Virginia had their best team in decades there in Charlottesville and they narrowly escaped with a victory, but You go back to last year and now this year, the narratives are completely different, right? As you said, Bronco Mendenhall is building something in Charlottesville, whereas Virginia Tech's program has gone down the drain with Justin Fuente. But ultimately, at the end of the day, the final record at the end of the year is the same. And at least Virginia Tech gets to turn a page, whereas I think Bronco Mendenhall has – a lot of questions to answer. And perhaps that's the burden of high expectations that have been put on him by a false narrative surrounding his program. But ultimately, again, the narrative is false. And, and also, he
1: set the expectations. Virginia has made beating Virginia Tech like the goal of the program, right? It's plastered on a wall in their office. They have a clock counting down, which Hokies FB on, on Twitter, phenomenal job right with the resetting the clock for uva on twitter that was excellent excellent social media work um virginia has made beating the Hokies like the sole accomplishment of the season and Bronco can't do it he's one in five against a program that let's face it has not been very good over these last six years 2016 was a bit of an anomaly UVA was really, really bad that year. Virginia Tech took them behind the woodshed and plastered them. 2017, Tech's offense was in shambles. Tech still won. 2018 was still, in my opinion, the worst season in recent memory, as far as I'm concerned, and Tech was able to win that game. They win 2019 in Charlottesville with, like you said, Andrew, a really good UVA team. And then we go right back to the same shit, man. They got blown out last year. And this year, they should have won this game. Let's be honest. Tech did not play particularly well. The the, the defense showed up in the second half, and I'll give them credit for that. But Virginia Tech refused to find any offensive rhythm, mostly because their, their offensive coordinator, again, has lost his marbles. The defense was wholly incompetent in the first half, and Virginia still couldn't win this game. Virginia's been dropping 30, 40 points on everybody they've faced all year, and they face this defense, and they got 24, and that's it. So um, credit to J.C. Price, credit to all these guys. Um, Again, if you haven't seen the video after the game of J.C. Price on the field, it's everywhere. It's the best recruiting material that Virginia Tech has ever seen in my life. Uh, Go watch it. J.C. Price should absolutely be a member of the coaching staff next year. I don't think that that's far-fetched at all. I don't really care who the hire is. Um, and again, Virginia, y'all got some stuff to work out, man. Y'all are, y'all have made beating tech, the sole accomplishment of the season that that's the, that's the biggest goal that's in that program. And it doesn't matter if you go seven and six or six and six or eight and four, if you're not beating tech, then you're falling short of your own goals.
2: I mean, I second all of that. My, my biggest, <laughs> uh, my biggest takeaway, from this game is that, and I, and I still stand by this, you know, before the game, we were talking about how there were no real, like on field reasons to pick Virginia tech coming into this game. I mean, None. we knew that UVA's defense was garbage and that led itself to be true. Virginia tech had their highest rushing total of the season in this football game. We knew that Brennan Armstrong was going to be a problem and he threw for 400 yards And we knew that UVA wasn't even going to try to run the ball and they really didn't. So everything we talked about in the preview came true, except for the fact that Virginia tech's defense simply just made better adjustments at halftime. They got outcoached UVA did.
1: Um, Absolutely.
2: And you got to give Justin Hamilton a lot of credit because this defense hasn't played perfectly this year, but more often than not, Virginia Tech's defenses in the second half tend to play a lot better than they do in the first half. <laughs> like, that's been the case for most of the season. Like, Justin Hamilton's halftime adjustments, like, if you were making a list of like 10 things that have actually gone well for Virginia Tech this year, Justin Hamilton's halftime adjustments with the defense would be on there. So, credit to Hamilton, credit to the players. Uh, first of all, the one thing that wasn't mentioned Dorian Strong had a really, really poor first half and everybody's lighting into him on social media. I did He didn't him. want to be there. Didn't seem like he wanted to be there. Effort wasn't. It, it's, not, it, it's one thing to be like, all right, I'm not going to be able to make this tackle. It's another thing to just not even attempt to make the tackle and not even give the requisite amount of he, effort he, he to be on the field. He intentionally
1: tried to remove himself from the position.
2: As did Tisdale, by the way. Yes, like, both, both of, them, of them. Both of them ducked the tackle by the goal line on UBA's first touchdown, to which I tweeted, if Dorian Strong doesn't want to play today, then find somebody who does. And credit to Dorian strong, because he was incredible in the second half, multiple pass breakups, multiple big time tackles. He was the one who made the tackle on UVA's boneheaded third down play towards the <laughs> end of the game where they threw it to their left tackle. I, the, the play call was beyond me, but Dorian strong made other good plays other than that final, you know, the, the tackle in the second to last play of the game. Um, he made the, uh, he made a couple of, really key pass breakups got tech off the field on third down a couple different times. He was really, really good in the second half. So shout out to Dorian strong for bouncing back and playing well, because I thought Justin Hamilton did a nice job with his halftime adjustments. I thought Virginia tech just has a whole played bet much better defensively in the second half. That's that is the reason why they won this football game. Defense was really, really good in the second half.
0: Yeah. I mean, basically to echo everything that you guys said, the on-field matchup just seemed tragic for Virginia Tech, and I thought there was. I, I think someone texted me before the game. They said, What do you think is going to happen? I said, There's about a 10% chance Virginia Tech wins, a 30% chance that Virginia Tech loses but keeps it close, and, and a 60% chance they get blown out. After what I had seen offensively from Virginia Tech all throughout this season. Despite how bad UVA's defense was, I really didn't think they could keep up with Brennan Armstrong in this offense. Like Ricky said, it had been historic. And when we had tried to parse out matchups like that in the past, we ended up with what we got at home against Kenny Pickett in Pittsburgh, frankly, an embarrassment. So it didn't seem likely, but again, six times, I believe, Virginia Tech has needed to beat UVA to gain bowl eligibility And they're six for six. And in these bad seasons, those have been the best memories. You'll remember the Chuck Clark interception in what was Frank Beamer's final regular season game, extending the bowl streak. We can look back to a few years ago, the multiple overtime game that preserved the bowl streak as well. It almost preserved the bowl streak. They had to schedule Marshall to truly preserve the bowl streak, but Virginia (laughs) tech looked dead in the water and that provided great memories as well. It's almost as if even in this turbulent, often disappointing time in Virginia Tech football history. Having UVA as that final game of the season in a game that no matter what the records are, it's going to matter to the fan base has been an absolute blessing for the Hokies insofar as they've constantly been able to get it done. And the image of J.C. Price smoking that cigar, a man who loved this university. I'm sure anyone who listens to this podcast has heard the soundbite probably a hundred times. I don't feel the need to repeat it. But a man that... In his first year on the coaching staff in Blacksburg was tasked with very little experience to back it up, to send Virginia Tech to a bowl, to avoid the embarrassment of losing in Charlottesville, and he got it done. It was awesome. And if that video of Tyrell Smith and Brock Hoffman Baker Mayfielding the UVA flag into the Wahoo logo at midfield at Scott Stadium the, in Charlotte. The blatant so, disrespect. Yeah, the blatant disrespect surrounded by the blatantly disrespectful Hokie fans storming Lane Stadium North. You know, John Laser saying back to your room, little brother. It was all just awesome. What a and, call,
2: by the way, by Laser. What a call.
0: <laughs> and... and in a point in Virginia Tech history where the on-field results truly don't hold that much weight one way or the other, right? We are heading towards a transition. The more consequential question about Virginia Tech football had nothing to do with the results in Miami or the results in Charlottesville. So this and the way that it happened was just gravy. It was icing on the cake. It was something that no matter how disappointing the season was, Virginia Tech fans will hold on to for a long time. And it created great recruiting propaganda and it showed little brother who's boss. So uh, that's the takeaway from the game. And and these players never stopped giving it their all. That was a, never a complaint that we had at any point this season, save maybe the Boston college game, but the way things were going offensively, I mean, you know, (laughs) from a, human psychology perspective it's hard to keep giving it your all but for the most part whether it be against Notre Dame whether it be in the Syracuse game obviously we saw them bring it against Duke these guys never gave it in and they deserve something at the end of the year to walk away with and the Commonwealth Cup stays in Blacksburg and I I think it's pretty awesome but back to the bigger question Virginia Tech still has not hired a head coach as I mentioned before and the coaching carousel has just gone Absolutely wild. We knew there would be more openings this offseason, 2020, because of COVID, because of the financial constraints, because of the optics. Not a lot of programs made moves. Now, a lot of programs are making moves, and more moves will be made. More openings have been created as a consequence of that. You know, Oklahoma now open, Duke now opened. You mentioned them both. Where do we stand with Virginia Tech? We know Dave Clawson has signed an extension. Ricky Lablue, I'm sorry for your loss. Billy Napier is at Florida. So I guess two of really what the fan base thought to be the top three candidates will not end up at Virginia Tech. Who are the candidates? And does Whip Babcock's approach have to change here? I guess it has to, right?
1: Well... um... First of all, yes, thoughts and prayers are being accepted. Uh for for me personally. I
2: was worried about you over Thanksgiving. Would that happen? I mean I was worried about you.
1: I mean, it 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 hurt me deep in my bones and then I stuffed my face full of turkey. Um
2: that everything was better.
1: Sort of. Okay. <laughs> Fair. I mean, not not getting to root for Dave Claussen is is just an exceptionally bad beat. Um so in terms of what Virginia Tech who may they may actually hire um, I, I I jokingly half jokingly sent out a tweet after uh, Clawson was signing his extension to make oodles more of cash and because um, I, I took a lot of flack for being a, a Dave Clawson guy and Mike you and I were talking about this before we started recording People on Twitter lately have been wilding out I they have people I, have lost their Damn mind. I want but to publicly
2: anyway, can I can I please public yeah. I want to publicly apologize because I tweeted I quote I tweeted a tweet that Ricky put up yesterday and we were discussing the Lincoln Riley job, the Lincoln Riley move to USC. We respectfully yes. disagreed. Yes. Ricky Ricky caught some absolute hell after that. So I feel partially responsible for this, although I thought I answered it respect- respectfully, and you got absolutely murdered by some people. I mean, like,
1: I don't mind if people disagree. That's right. fine. I still right. think it's – I, I still don't like the move. Right. Um, but it, it is what it is. Um, it went viral for but reasons. It, it did, necessary. a little. Um, but you know what? I didn't get ratioed. Just so you know, I did, did not, not get, ratioed. get ratioed.
2: Did not get ratioed. I was happy still about got, that. Still got, still got more likes. So I was just creating. I was creating conversation, and I think that's what we did. It just went a little off the rails after that.
1: Well, you and I give friendly jabs all the time. Yes. So, like, I, like that, that's fine. It's just people need to realize that. People only half serious. People <laughs> need to relax. Ricky and I, I are sent out. I sent out realize. a a tweet saying that you know watch what's going to happen is that virginia tech is going to sign jamie chadwell to be the head coach and then i'm going to have to listen to all these dave clausen detractors tell me that this was a better hire and people were like oh that's not going to happen oh really because look at all the guys that are getting hired or at least staying where they're at billy napier ain't coming to tech he's going to gainesville dave clausen is going to live it up at west wake forest and I don't blame him, to be quite honest. We That was one of the big things we said early on was that we don't think Dave Clawson really wants to leave Wake Forest, and I don't think he did either, and he used all this interest to get an extension, so good for him. But you look at all these, all these guys that are off the board now, and you look at the guys who are still on the board, and you look at the names that keep getting brought up, Jamie Chadwell keeps getting brought up. And, boys, I'm, I've said it once, and I'll say it again. If they hire Jamie Chadwell, I'm going to be extremely disappointed that this is where Whit Babcock landed after all the time he's had to hire a head coach to fill this role. If Jamie Chadwell is the best you can come up with, that ain't going to cut it chief. I that, that's just not going to get it done. Jamie Chadwell or Will Healy, which Andrew, you've said that he needs to go to Duke and I wholeheartedly support that. He should absolutely go to Duke. Um, but again, like, Jamie Chadwell cannot be the answer here. Like there there's got to be another iron in the fire. And I I know it's extremely doubtful. I thought he was gonna go to USC. Matt Campbell at Iowa State. If if Whip Bob cop can pull him, I'm fine. I, I'm cool with that. I got no qualms with with Matt Campbell. Um but
0: yeah, I'm I mean liking... I, I think everyone would be fine with a multiple time power five conference coach of the year winner. I'm
1: good on that. I mean, I'm good yeah. with that.
0: Um, but again, like
1: I, I'm not sure how realistic that is, right? Like I'm not sure. I'm not sure that jumping to Virginia Tech is the right move for Matt Campbell because I think Campbell has aspirations pretty high, and um, he might just be better off continuing with the program that he's building at Iowa State in a kind of middling conference, and then just jump when he when he's ready to make the jump um so the names that we're seeing on here are not really getting me excited boys i mean like tim beck is i think an okay hire and i've i've mentioned his name before and um steven newman a buddy of mine has has been beating that drum and i'm i'm cool with that i'm not i'm not ecstatic about it but i'm okay with it byron left which ain't happening we've heard zero smoke on that so we can probably just go ahead and write that off the list Marcus Freeman at Notre Dame, who knows? He may be getting a promotion here if Brian Kelly goes to LSU, which would just be wild as hell because this, coach, this coaching carousel has already been wild. Um, but I, I don't know about how you guys feel about the current coaching search or the state of the coaching search, but I'm not feeling it.
2: I, I think it was the, uh, the toughest possible time to make a change. And it's gotten, it's only gotten tougher, right? Like,
1: like just wait until Oklahoma hires who they're going to hire, which that's a great fit for Matt Campbell right there. It is is for Oklahoma to go ahead and hire him. So that's another opening that Virginia Tech would then have to compete with at Iowa State.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, the thing is, and people, people need to understand, like fans need to understand that like every, not every single coaching opening, but several of them, Have ramifications on Virginia Tech. And it doesn't mean that you're swimming in the exact same pool of candidates, but the trickle down effect is something that you need to pay attention to. For example, as we sit here recording here on Monday night, there are reports coming out from the Athletic that LSU is pursuing Brian Kelly of Notre Dame. Let's say LSU was able to land Brian Kelly, which is something I'm currently skeptical of. Just I I was reading that Athletic article and they mentioned that. You know, Kelly has been seeking some facility upgrades at Notre Dame and, you know, the Notre Dame program doesn't seem to be imminently entertaining those demands, which this could be a play on facilities. So we'll see, but the cycle has been wild. So let's say Brian Kelly goes to LSU. Marcus Freeman has been a rumored candidate at Virginia Tech. And I don't know how serious that is, but if Marcus Freeman had that Notre Dame job open, a job that Brian Kelly has referenced in the past that Marcus Freeman would be excellent at as a head coach. What if Freeman just decides, all right, well, I'm just going to stick in South Bend. I mean, wouldn't you you choose the Notre Dame job over Virginia Tech? I mean, every job opening has a trickle-down effect for somebody, right?
1: I've been screaming this for weeks, and people are like, oh, well, the opening at LSU is not going to affect Virginia Tech. No, of course it is. Of course it is. Of course it is. Um, every job has a trickle-down effect for
2: somebody, and Virginia Tech is swimming in a in a pool of candidates where you have a lot of guys. Billy Napier is one of them. We've already seen it. The Florida job opens, and all of a sudden, Billy Napier, one of Virginia Tech's top targets, looks a lot more unrealistic, doesn't it? So I, I just think that this is a really hard time to change coaches. Ask LSU. I mean, LSU – The Athletic was reporting that LSU was taken aback by Lincoln Riley coming out Saturday night and saying, I'm not going there. LSU thought that Lincoln Riley might be their next head coach. And obviously they were highly interested and they were surprised when Lincoln Riley came out outright in the press conference and said, I'm not going there. Like, yeah, that's because he was going to USC, you know? But LSU, I mean, Scott Woodward is known for swinging for the fences with big name head coaches. And he was able to land Jimbo. And he was, you know, at A&M and and he has been prepping for this hire for his entire professional career at LSU. And the fact that he wasn't able to land Lincoln Riley, they didn't seem like they were that interested in Billy Napier, according to Sports Illustrated. Yeah, I mean, it's very interesting. And now they're taking a big swing at Brian Kelly. But what if Brian Kelly says, no, I'm good, which I think is more likely than not, considering Brian Kelly's age and kind of where he's at at Notre Dame. What if he says, no, I'm good. What is LSU going to do? I mean, this is a really, really hard cycle to hire a head coach for the Blue Bloods, let alone Virginia Tech, which is a top 25 or 30 job probably in the country. So it is a tough cycle right now. And I don't know who the hire is going to be. I have no idea who the hire is going to be. I mean, I I think if it were Matt Campbell, it would have happened already. I think if it was Charles Huff from Marshall, they're not playing in the conference championship game. I don't think it's going to be him. I think it would have happened already. Um, if even if it was Marcus Freeman, I think it would have happened already. Notre Dame's just waiting for a bowl game. If you're hiring Marcus Freeman, why wouldn't you make the hire right now? So there are a lot of candidates on this list that I sit here and as time goes by, I'm like, I don't think that's the guy. I don't think that's the guy. I don't think that's the guy. And maybe I'm ultimately wrong about that. Maybe it ends up being one of those guys that I'm like crossing off the list in my head because it just hasn't happened yet. But I don't know. I mean, I have no idea. And I think there's going to be more twists and turns here over the next couple of days or or week. I don't know. I I literally have no idea who Virginia Tech's going to hire. I don't think anybody does right now.
0: Yeah, I mean, the contrast from the 2015 cycle is jarring, right? And granted, a lot of places opened up During that cycle, but at least Virginia Tech with the retirement of Frank Beamer, you know, you you felt like you were the star quarterback at a high school in a small town where you kind of had the pick of the litter. Girls wanted to be with you. Now, today, you feel like an average Joe walking around on Miami Beach when there's more people walking in each and every second. Virginia Tech is not the prime spot. And some of the candidates that we saw or that we as analysts and fans highlighted, Billy Napier, gone. And maybe even more coaches like a Matt Campbell, like a Marcus Freeman, they're standing pat. They're waiting to see how this ripple effect goes. So if you're Virginia Tech with the early signing day coming up, you feel the need to have to make a move. But who knows if some of these guys like a Matt Campbell are willing to pull the trigger right now today on the 29th of November. And if you're with Babcock, you're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. Do you go for a guy like Jamie Chadwell? Ricky says no. I agree with Ricky. But beyond that, I mean, is it Charlie Huff? I feel like if the decision is to hire Charlie Huff and if the interest is mutual, which I'd have to believe that if Virginia Tech was interested in Charlie Huff, given his profile right now as a coach, you know, go from never even being a coordinator before to one year as a head coach at Marshall, a head coach at Virginia Tech, he would take that deal. But if that's the case, we'll know like tomorrow. So if it's not that, what are we waiting for? And Whip Babcock, who in his press conference highlighted the importance of previous head coaching experience on his list of desirable qualities in a candidate for the next coach of Virginia Tech. Like, who's left in that pool? It's not Chadwell, it's not Huff. Are we pulling in Dan Mullen? (laughs) I I don't think that's (laughs) going to be the case either. It feels like an Elko, Freeman, Pry, the defensive coordinator over at Penn State, Gaddis, the guy at Michigan, those are starting to feel increasingly more likely today than I really thought them to be almost unfathomable, if not just highly unlikely, a few days ago. But the way that this coaching carousel is turning and the unpredictability at which that's happening. I don't know. I feel like all my priors have been thrown out the window to some degree. Maybe I'm are we, Who
1: knows? Are we getting somewhat close to Whip Babcock settling on J.C. Price as the head coach of Virginia Tech? No. I hope not. And no. that's no disrespect to J.C. Price because none lord knows uh, i zero zero I'm, disrespect like, like zero I, disrespect. he is a phenomenal leader and he's absolutely someone that should be within inside the program um but i don't know part of me part of me feels like that that's no longer a zero possibility
2: the one thing oh. I found that was, uh, Andrew, sorry, the, the one thing that I found interesting today, it's like the latest coaching rumors, right? There were discussions about, oh, Brent Pry's been thrown around for the tech job. And I was thinking, head coach Brent Pry doesn't make a lot of sense. Defensive coordinator Brent Pry would, uh, Brent Pry coached with Bill O'Brien, another rumored candidate at Penn State.
1: I would actually you, said to Steven yesterday that Bill, I would be fine with Bill O'Brien as the head coach.
2: So, if Bill O'Brien's the head coach, would he bring Brent Pry as a defensive coordinator? Because no. that you don't think so.
1: I, I don't think I don't think anyone in their right mind makes a lateral move from Penn State to Virginia Tech.
2: Not lateral if they pay him more.
1: Are they going to be able to
2: pay him more? That's the big question. That is the. <laughs> <laughs> that is literally like the two or three million dollar question rick like, like i don't is, i don't think
1: tech can compete with penn state in budgets
2: it is the it is the multiple million dollar question i mean we are literally
0: asking. we are literally two years removed from virginia tech having the second smallest pool of assistant coach salaries of all the publics in the accc So suddenly we're going to start outbidding Penn state for defensive coordinators. That would be a, uh, interesting revelation to say the least. (laughs) Well, I mean, wit wit's wit said the the football funding
2: is going to be second or third in the ACC. So if, if they're increasing the operating budget that much now, I don't think it's going to be to the point where to to Rick's point where they can all, all of a sudden pull Bill O'Brien and Brett pry, right. I think for Pry to be the defensive coordinator, you're probably paying the head coach a little bit less, like maybe hiring Charles Huff and Brent Pry as a DC makes a little bit more sense. You're not shelling out as much money to Huff as you would to bill O'Brien, for example, maybe you have a larger pool for your assistance. Maybe I could see that making a little bit more sense, but I just don't really understand Brett Pry being the head coach at Virginia tech. I feel like, there are other, and again, that this is why Wit is paid all the money to do these searches, and I'm not. I just feel like there's on paper younger, like coordinators that, like a Marcus Freeman, for example, that might make a little bit more sense. I mean, Brett Pry, yeah, he's got Virginia Tech connections, but he was a graduate assistant at Tech. It's not like this guy was like a, a five or 10 year staffer in Blacksburg, like Charlie. It's not like a Charlie Wiles situation. Like, I don't, I don't understand why all of a sudden we're like, yeah, Brett Pry is like, Virginia guy through and through. He went to high school in Lexington and was a graduate assistant in Blacksburg. It's like, okay, that's his tech connection.
0: Okay. So I think, I mean, Ricky brought up the keeping JC price as head coach thing. And I still think that's a damn near 0% chance. What I will say is the likelihood of us paying a head coach, a smaller sum of money, and then getting more of an all-star coordinator staff has moved into the likely scenario category. And you mentioned the the Charlie Huff, Brett Pry possibility. I got a text from Jeremy Counts today. That's exactly what he wants. And if your A-list candidates are off the board and you're trying to make a splash, yeah, maybe that's what you do.
1: Uh, like, I'm not getting excited about anybody that we've named so far. I mean, I mean like Mike Houston got thrown around today and I'm like... Really? Like we're we're going after a guy who has coached one time outside of the FCS level, and his record is seven and five. Now, granted, ECU was a really bad program when he took that over, but um, he's. Or excuse me. I think he's been at ECU now two years, right? He was there last year, so he's coached two years outside of the FCS level. I, that, that's. That seems like a very low ball hire to me. I
2: mean, I think we're making too many, uh, we being everybody, because nobody has any idea. I think names are been being thrown out there. Like, we'll see what sticks because they lived in Virginia one time or they coached in Virginia one time. And, like, Mike Houston, like, checks the box, right? Like, okay, he coached in Virginia at James Madison, won a national title there. Uh, Sorry, this
1: is his third season at East Carolina. He went four and eight, three and six, and seven and five this year.
2: So marked improvement, and it was a bad program that he took over. And he's, he's won everywhere he's been. My thing is, like, okay, there, there are other Virginia coaches, Virginia-type hires that would make more sense, like a Charles Huff, right? Like, why wouldn't you just go ahead and hire Charles Huff then? He played at Hampton. He's recruited this area in the past and the present he was one of Sabin's top recruiters at Alabama like if we're worried about the Virginia connections and, and guys that can recruit the state wouldn't you go ahead and just hire Charles Huff before you hire a guy in Mike Houston I mean Mike Houston's got a couple more years of FBS coaching experience under his belt than Charles Huff but I mean I sit here and kind of just shrug my shoulders there's no difference between Marshall and East Carolina I just – I don't know. Like, I don't like, – guys, I don't know what the answer is. I, I'm at a loss, and I, I've i been reading a lot Witt of stuff. i give credit
1: for, for shutting the leaks down. Like, there have been Nothing. no leaks that have come out of the Virginia Tech administration regarding these – regarding this hire, and uh, I know that's exactly how Witt wants it, and he's done a pretty good job of playing it close to the – close to the chest so far, but – um. The natives are getting restless. And you know, at, at a certain point, the the music is gonna stop. And, and if Virginia Tech is stuck with a chair that doesn't fit, that's gonna be a problem. Yeah.
0: It is it is funny though, the lack of knowing anything amongst the Virginia Tech fan base while you're seeing moves be made, the carousel turning is driving people insane. And credit where it's due, as always, to the great David Teal who published the most eloquent article that basically came to the conclusion, we don't know what the hell is going on that you could possibly imagine (laughs) because Wick keeps it close to the chest. That's how he operates. And every time it seems like a name has been thrown out there, the like, I guess it seems more likely today that that's a result of a coach's agent trying to get them an extension or maybe will their name into the public conversation than it is having any semblance of reality in what's going on in Virginia Tech world and in with Babcock's inner circle. We simply do not know. But you, know, you mentioned Charles Huff and you mentioned Mike Houston and you see people going crazy online. We mentioned Brett Pry. These names aren't going to move the needle for a lot of fans. And I feel like getting the fan base excited matters to a degree, but how much does it really matter? Is that something that should be taken into consideration? I mean, perception is reality to some degree, right?
1: You know, I, I've i always been a proponent that you can't let fans run the program. And I think that that still stands, but at a certain point, it just doesn't benefit you to drag your feet on this. Like wit has... Witt has developed a reputation of having a plan in place before he has to enact it rather than flying by the seat of his pants. And we saw that with the Buzz, William, Buzz Williams hire. We saw it with the Mike Young hire. We saw it with Justin Fuente. Witt moved extraordinarily quickly on all of those. Uh, he's not moving extraordinarily quickly on this. And people are starting to wonder if he's whiffing on guys. and. Maybe it is. I don't know. But when you develop a reputation for being able to bring your guy in, like your 1A guy, within a short time frame, and we just haven't seen it so far, um, it's it goes outside the trend line. And it starts to make people worried because this is a really important hire. Like tech is tech football needs to get someone in the program that can make virginia tech nationally relevant cuz right now virginia tech is not nationally relevant and we, you have a college football landscape that is quickly shifting towards the guys who are already having already have so much money they have all the prestige they have all the resources the acc is Quite frankly, a, a, just an abysmal football conference right now, relative to where you know you you want the program to be. Um, this just this just isn't working, and Tech fans need something to buy into. They need something to believe in. They need some something to have hope on. And right now, it, it's hard to have that when you don't know who's going to lead the program.
0: All right. Before we wrap up this coaching conversation, I want to ask you guys today, give me your top two most likely next head football coach at Virginia Tech.
1: Most likely or who we would prefer?
0: Most likely. Uh,
1: um, I'm going to go one is Charles Huff. And two is Jamie Chadwell.
2: I'll go with Huff and Bill O'Brien.
1: And and by the way, just just so so I'm clear on the record, neither Huff nor Chadwell are really getting me excited. Just just to put that out there.
2: I, I would can, be. I can kind I, of get behind Huff. I'll get behind Huff. I, I mean, I can get behind Huff
1: way more than Chadwell. You guys yeah. know how I feel about Jamie Chadwell, but even Huff. I don't know. I'm, 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 I would buy in a little bit, but I'm a bit skeptical. Got to see the staff with Huff. I would feel a lot like I did when Virginia tech hired Mike young.
2: Got to see the staff, which with Huff.
1: obviously I ended up being wrong on that front, right? I think we're all in agreement that Mike young is a great fit and a great coach for Virginia tech. I didn't think that was going to be the case early on. I was wrong on that front. Maybe I'm wrong. If, if Charles Huff gets a job hopefully
0: I am. All right. Well, speaking of Mike Young, Virginia Tech goes 0-2 in Brooklyn. A admirable performance against Memphis and more of a disappointing one against Xavier. What did we learn about the team this week?
1: Go ahead, Mike. You're, I, I think your expertise on this roster is a bit better than mine, but I'm, sure. I'm curious to see what you have to say. Well, it
2: was interesting because I think Virginia Tech – in Brooklyn reverted to the team reverted back to the team that they were a year ago, roster wise. I thought it was interesting. When you look at the minutes distribution of the front court, right? David and uh, did not play much in the game against Memphis. I think he had four minutes and then he only had 11 minutes against Xavier. Uh, John Ogiako uh, did not play much. Uh, actually didn't play at all against Xavier, right? Uh, Justin Mutz didn't play particularly well in back-to-back games against Memphis and Xavier. And the reason why I bring up Mutz, you know, Mutz has been a a good player for Virginia Tech through the early part of the season with the exception of this weekend. The reason why I bring this up is because Virginia Tech, the, the one thing we were able to rely upon early in the year, right? like throughout the non-conference schedule was you looked at the front court and you were like, and David, and Gusan, like they're giving you a little bit of something off the bench that Virginia Tech didn't have in the front court last year. It's like, okay, that's a positive development. That was one takeaway. Second takeaway is, and this has been a larger issue throughout the whole season is Virginia Tech is not a great rebounding team. And that reared its head. Against Memphis, I mean, there are a lot of things to point to in the Memphis game, right? Storm Murphy had six turnovers, six of the team's 13 turnovers, and Penny Hardaway said after the game they really wanted to wear him down. That was their goal. They did that, right? He played 39 minutes, and he is Virginia Tech's only ball handler right now, right? They don't have a secondary, they don't have a second ball handler in the rotation at this point, and I think they're going to have to have one now moving forward. And Sean Pedula played well in the second half against Xavier. and Maybe he gets more minutes against better competition moving forward. But they got to find a way to take the onus off of storm Murphy from a ball handling standpoint, not that he can't do it, but there needs to be another guy. Like we've been talking about that. If Hunter Couture is your second primary ball handler, that is not good. Like they need to have somebody else in that regard, whether that's giving Darius Maddox more minutes, cause he's been really good or giving Sean Padula more minutes because he's shown flashes of being really, really good in small sample sizes. They got to figure out how to get another primary ball handler. And then the third point is just that in general, I think Virginia tech's roster has not played to their capability yet. Like we've only seen a couple games where Virginia tech has played two complete halves basketball, where they've been like really good start to finish The the main game, ironically, the opener was, was one of them, but Virginia tech's also missing open shots, right? Like they got sped up a little bit in the Memphis game. That's what Memphis defense does to you. And they missed a lot of open looks and in the Xavier game, they started making those a bit more regularly, and Naheem Aline has been a big part of that. Uh, he didn't shoot it great against Memphis, but he has shot the ball a lot better over the past four games. and He's starting to come into his own. But Virginia Tech needs to rebound better. They need to get tougher inside. Uh, I, I think, like, Kevin Aluma's been fine statistically, but he could easily have – I mean, he had double-double, I think, against Memphis. He easily could have had, like, 16 or 17 rebounds in that game. And he just, I think he finished with 10 or 11 and they just got to get tougher in the front court and they got to find a way to refine this rotation so that they can take some pressure off of, off of storm Murphy from a ball handling standpoint and allow him to take a breather for like a couple minutes. Uh, so that those are kind of the the higher level takeaways. I think Virginia tech will be fine. I think that Mike young will figure out the, the rotations a bit more and and find out how to, kind of mix and match these guys. I think this weekend, uh, this Thanksgiving weekend, coming out of Friday and having, you know, Saturday up until the game on Wednesday night to kind of look at film and, and see what Tech's done well and what they haven't done so well and refining the rotations a little bit will definitely help. But Virginia Tech's got to rebound the ball better. Like, that's the biggest takeaway for me. The rebounding needs to improve.
1: So my biggest issue, I, I, I'm not really just, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously disappointed, but I'm not really upset at the loss to Memphis. Memphis is just a different level program in terms of basketball with Penny Hardaway leading so deep leading the program. So I'm not really worried about that one, but Xavier was missing like three or four of their top guys in this game and Virginia tech could not beat them. And that's discouraging. Like Xavier is, is not an elite program anymore. So you got to be able to, you got to be able to show up and win these games. And um, Mike, you, you alluded to a few things. I think KV Aluma has got to toughen up a bit. He has looked a bit bothered by physical play around the basket. And that's got to change. Um, we saw this last year, quite frankly, and uh, he was able to kind of, it was kind of glossed over because he was such a prolific scorer from a, from a finesse standpoint, because that's always been more his, his style storm murphy's just been flat out bad i think so to start the season is is, um, he defensively he's a bit of a liability offensively he's turning the ball over he's not shooting well that's the main issue he just has not been able to put the ball in the basket it's like frankly open looks just yeah like he's he's got to get better i understand that they've relied on him a lot so far but he only played 18 minutes against xavier for a reason that's because he was an offensive liability and he had four fouls so he he's got to be better uh just there is no doubt and last thing I think the rotation needs to get bigger I was a bit disappointed that Virginia Tech kind of shrunk down the rotation as much as they did I think if you're going to try and figure out which guys you can rely on in big games Mm -hmm. now is the time to do it and um not giving it Ojiako a chance in these situations, to me, was a huge disappointment. Um, I, I hope that Mike Young tries to work him in more because you you need you need someone else down low to take pressure off of Justin Mutz and to also give KV Luma a breather because he's going to be attacked physically for the remainder of the season.
0: All right. Well, certainly we will learn more as Virginia Tech takes on Maryland this week. Saint I'll Bonner. be there.
2: What's that? I'll be there at the Maryland game.
0: I'll be there. there. And then St. Bonaventure and preseason tournament champion Dayton also on the horizon. So uh, the tests continue. But, gentlemen, let's log off. Any last words?
1: Uh, Rate, review, subscribe. Um, If you follow me on Twitter and you think I say something cool, tweet at me. So not all of my mentions are bad and annoying. Uh, Go listen to Andrew's radio show, ESPN. Blacksburg, uh, Mike's on seven different podcasts. Um, I'm a huge fan of the ACC Pod, quite frankly. Um, Thanks, man. Georgia Tech, just man,
2: I cannot wait to. T- I cannot wait to Jameer, talk to you. Jameer Gibbs is gone. I cannot wait to talk to you. J- we we recorded a instant react. <laughs> we recorded like our instant reaction recap on Saturday night, like recapping all the games. He had some thoughts on Jeff Collins that has only continued. Overtaxed, well, and i can't wait to talk to him about that next at area. a certain
1: point you gotta you gotta put some results on the field and you gotta uh-huh. be more than just talk because quite frankly that's all jeff collins has been also um thank you to david cutcliffe for making duke competent for a good bit um david cutcliffe is now gone um off to do whatever david cutcliffe really wants to do because quite frankly it doesn't need to work anymore
0: Yeah, I like what Ricky said. A lot of people kind of making jokes today, like the ACC is going to miss David Cutcliffe in the sense that Duke was a rollover. Duke had made two bowl games since 1960 when Cutcliffe took over in 2008, and they made six in seven years, including a trip to an ACC championship game. Whoever is next up at Duke has big shoes to fill at one of the toughest jobs in the country. But Virginia Tech coach is going to have big shoes to fill, too. Who knows? Maybe we'll have an emergency pod this week uh, to talk about just that. We'll I really hope so. Bowl game Virginia <laughs> Tech's playing in. I will say, not thinking we were going to make a bowl game for the second half of the season, I didn't really care too much. But I'm glad we're going to go to one. More football to talk I'm, about. I'm kind of hoping
1: over. that the the bowl game ends up in Annapolis so there are more Tech fans that are able to go because J.C. Price deserves a big turnout.
0: True that, true that. All right, well, folks, we'll talk to you soon. Until then, keep refreshing Twitter and go (laughs) Hokies.